Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Kinky Boots. doing. I hope this episode finds you well, more so than usual, because this episode is scheduled to drop the day after the election, and so I hope you are safe and sound at that time. This has been a horribly rough four years, to say the very least, and we need to stick together at the same time. This podcast is not for Republicans, but you knew that already, right? Yeah, you knew. You knew. This is not an apolitical podcast. Hello, ding dong. Wow. (laughs) In other news, I am potentially a long-term subscriber to Broadway HD. I am in the middle of my free trial right now. My queue currently includes Happy Birthday Doug, Funny Girl, Into the Woods, Hello Again, Driving Miss Daisy, 42nd Street, The King and I, Tin Types, Holiday Inn, which I'm actually right in the middle of, The Wind and The Willows, Daddy Long Legs, and Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. Oh, and An American in Paris. I had no idea anyone filmed in American in Paris at some point. Uh, But now I know you can expect a report on that in the future, if not the near future, the eventual long-term future. Who knows when I'll get around to that. But what else should I add to my queue? Let me know. Reach out to me via Twitter at MusicalManPod, or if you prefer, email MusicalManPod at gmail.com. Enough of my rambling. It's time for the show facts regarding Kinky Boots. Show me the show facts. Let's do it. Kinky Boots is based on the 2005 Miramax BBC film of the same name, which was directed by Julian Gerald, written by Joff Dean and Tim Firth, and starred Chiwetel Ejiofor, Sarah Jane Potts, Joel Edgerton, and Nick Frost. The film was itself inspired by The Kinky Boot Factory, a February 1999 episode of the BBC docu-series Trouble at the Top. The show, which focused on struggling businesses, put a spotlight on W.J. Brooks, yes, that's it, a shoe factory operating out of Earl's Barton, Northamptonshire. Though the family-owned business had been in operation for over a century, it was on track for closure in the wake of plummeting domestic sales. 
As a result, owner Steve Pateman developed Divine Footwear, a line of high-end shoes for men who enjoyed wearing women's apparel. The concept came about when Pateman was contacted by Laces, a Folkstone fetish shop that wanted to produce high-heeled boots in male sizes. The film and musical would have you believe these shoes became the factory's signature product, and they were for a time, but in reality, production of Divine Footwear ceased in 2000. In its place, Pateman developed bags, fragrances, underwear, and erotic toys. Hello, meow! Kinky Boots is the 2013 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 4th, 2013 at the Al Hirschfeld Theater and ran for 2,505 performances. It is currently the 26th longest-running show in Broadway history, sitting between Aladdin at number 25, 2,506 performances and counting, and the producers at number 27, 2,502 performances. The book was written by Harvey Firestein, and the music and lyrics were written by Cindy Lauper, with music arrangements and orchestrations by Stephen Orimus. The director of Kinky Boots, Jerry Mitchell. The musical director, Brian Usifer. Choreographer, Jerry Mitchell. Scenic design, David Rockwell. Lighting design, Kenneth Posner. I do believe we have seen Kenneth's name before. Hello, Kenneth. Sound design, John Shivers. And costume design, Greg Barnes. The original Broadway cast was as follows. Billy Porter, Stark Sands, Annalie Ashford, Selena Carvajal, Marcus Neville, Daniel Stewart Sherman, Adina Alexander, Eric Anderson, Eugene Barry Hill, Stephen Berger, Caroline Bowman, Paul Kanan, Andy Kelso, Kevin Smith Kirkwood, Eric Levitin, Ellen Marie Marsh, John Jeffrey Martin, Marquise Neal, Kyle Taylor Parker, Jennifer Perry, Kyle Post, Tori Ross, Charlie Sutton, Joey Toronto, and Sebastian Hedges, Thomas, Tony Nods. Okay, so, Kinky Boots won the Tony Award for Best Musical, but it also won Best Original Score, Cindy Lauper, Best Leading Actor in a Musical, Billy Porter, Best Choreography, Jerry Mitchell, Best Orchestrations, Stephen Orimus, Best Sound Design of a Musical, John Shivers. And it was additionally nominated for Best Book of a Musical, Harvey Firestein. Best Leading Actor in a Musical, Stark Sands. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Annalie Ashford. Best Direction of a Musical, Jerry Mitchell. Best Scenic Design of a Musical, David Rockwell. Best Costume Design of a Musical, Greg Barnes. And Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Kenneth Posner. So, 13 nominations in total, 6 awards at the end of the night. Let's talk about the plot, huh? Our story begins with the introduction of two young boys, Charlie and Simon. Charlie is the son of Mr. Price, owner of the Northampton shoe factory Price and Son. The men of the Price family have been in the shoe business for generations, and Charlie is expected to take over the factory when he comes of age. Unfortunately, Charlie has no interest in shoes and views his destiny with mounting apprehension. Meanwhile, Simon furtively tries on a pair of women's heels and delights in how they make him feel. The reverie is instantly shattered when Simon's father catches him in the act. Flash forward. Charlie, having rejected his father and the factory, has moved to London with his fiancée, Nicola. A new chapter has begun for Charlie. No one can hold him back. No one! 
And not so fast, Charlie boy. Mr. Price has suddenly died. Uh-oh. Praise and Mungiza. Rest in peace, Mr. Price. Charlie flies back to Northampton and discovers the shoe factory is facing bankruptcy, and so he vows to do all he can to ensure its survival. At the same time, he refuses to actually run Price and Son, as that would be a bridge too far. Hero's journey, refusal of the call, etc., etc. Charlie returns to London and consults with Harry, a shoe salesman and longtime friend who advises him to abandon Price and Son as soon as possible. Unsure of how to move forward, Charlie mulls over his options while wandering the streets of London. He witnesses a woman being harassed and chooses to intervene, but the woman accidentally knocks him out with her boot. Bonk! Ouch! Upon coming to, Charlie finds himself in the dressing room of Lola, a drag queen who performs with a group of backup singers known as the Angels. Charlie is awkward around Lola at first, though his shoemaker instincts lead him to point out that her boots aren't designed to support her weight. Lola sighs, resigned. What is a girl to do? She has no other options. A distinction regarding pronouns. Wikipedia refers to Lola using female pronouns, though the character does not go out of their way to identify as a woman. The show acknowledges the concept of fluidity and those who are gender non-conforming, but transgender people are notably not cited within the show's conversations about gender. Lola makes it clear she is not a transvestite, but a drag queen, a man who dresses as a woman and, in this case, is attracted to women. Other characters refer to Lola using female pronouns, so I'm going to go with that policy moving forward. Does Lola consider Simon to be her dead name? No clue. It's a jumble. It's a bit of a jumble. I'm not convinced the show is embracing the beautiful hurly-burly of the character's non-conformist identity so much as it is incapable of working out the finer points of her identity. Soon after his time with Lola, Charlie gives his employees their two weeks' notice. One of the workers, Lauren, erupts when confronted with this news. She berates Charlie and points out that many shoe factories have stayed afloat by exploring underserved niche markets. An enormous boot-shaped light bulb appears over Charlie's head. Of course! Why not have Lola come to Northampton and design women's footwear for men? It's a wild idea, but it just might work. I mean, this is a musical, so the idea will probably work. Odds are like 60-40 in favor of the idea working. Work! <laughs> Sorry. Lola arrives in Northampton and is instantly revolted by Charlie's first prototype. These boots are hideous. No respectable drag queen would wear these boots. Lola quickly produces her own designs, emphasizing how the product should be thoroughly, aggressively, undeniably sexy. Charlie is ecstatic. He asks Lola to remain in Northampton while the kinky boots are developed as he hopes to model them at a Milan fashion show in three weeks' time. Lola is reluctant. It's clear there are those at Price and Son who resent her presence, none more so than the conservative foreman, Don. In the end, she agrees to stick around, and a joyful Charlie promotes Lauren as a show of gratitude. Lauren is perplexed. She has had a rocky relationship with men in the past, and her growing attraction to Charlie seems like another red flag drama, cisgender heterosexual drama, the tea, honey. 
<laughs> Sorry. Lola arrives at the factory wearing a man's outfit and is immediately ridiculed by Don, who has become determined to run her out of town. Charlie eventually finds Lola crying in the restroom, where they bond over similarly fraught relationships with their fathers. Whereas Mr. Price had always dreamed of Charlie running the factory, Lola's father was determined to transform his child into a boxer. But when Lola showed up to a match in women's clothing, she was instantly disowned. Lola, as we learn, was once known to the world as Simon. Nicola and her boss, Richard Bailey, paid Charlie a visit to reveal their plans for the factory. In short, they want to tear the factory down and build high-end condominiums, a proposal Mr. Price had come to accept shortly before his death. Despite this revelation, Charlie becomes even more determined to pull Price and Son from the grip of financial ruin. Act 1 comes to a close as the first pair of kinky boots makes its way off the assembly line. Act 2 kicks off with a showdown, Lola versus Don. Lola agrees to accept whatever challenge Don can devise so long as he agrees to do the same. Don recommends a boxing match at the local pub, and though Lola manages to get in a few good licks, she she allows her opponent to win in the end. Don is flabbergasted. Why would Lola throw the match? As it turns out, she had no interest in humiliating him in front of his friends. She's more interested in how Don will rise to her challenge, which is as follows, quote, accept someone for who they are, quote. Say, how is Charlie doing? Well, Charlie is not doing well, I'm sorry to say. Nicola has broken up with him. No surprise there. Stress is causing him to lash out at the workers. You call these boots kinky? Do it again! And on top of everything, Lola has decided she and the Angels will be modeling the kinky boots in Milan. Charlie explodes. We can't have a bunch of ridiculous drag queens representing Price and Son. Huh? You're nothing but a gender-confused fool, Simon. They do sort of treat Simon as if it were a dead name. A broken-hearted Lola leaves the factory floor, followed closely by the staff. Charlie is left alone. Time passes. Lauren brings Charlie back to the factory where it is revealed Don has convinced the staff to not only return to work, but sacrifice a week of pay. By doing so, Price and Son can afford to finish the kinky boots and make the trip to Milan. We also come to find the person Don has chosen to accept is none other than Charlie. Ding, ding. Charlie may be a bit of a twit sometimes, but he's not all bad, right? Eh, sure. Charlie leaves an apologetic voicemail for Lola shortly before flying to Milan. We crossfade to a nursing home, where Lola performs for an elderly audience that includes her father. Despite years of estrangement, parent and child find a way to connect. Smash cut! Milan, baby! With no models on hand, Charlie opts to pour himself into a pair of boots and mosey down the catwalk all on his own. Lauren is delighted by the idea, even if it could lead to disaster. But what's this? Lola and the angels have arrived to save the day. Haha, sit down, Charlie. This is a job for professionals. The show goes off without a hitch. The crowd goes wild. The kinky boots prove to be a smashing success. And Charlie and Lauren bring the curtain down with a chaste kiss, heterosexuality. Hooray. Okay, who had money on the kinky boots idea working out? All right. Okay, see Angie after the episode. He'll have your money, okay? And for those of you who lost out tonight, let me just say this. Angie does not want to see no markers from any of yous, all right? No markers. How much cheesecake, how much strudel get out of my face? 
For the purposes of this week's episode, I was interested in tracking down that episode of Trouble at the Top, Season 3, Episode 1, The Kinky Boot Factory, but unfortunately it does seem to be unavailable online, so instead I moved right along... I moved right along to the 2005 Miramax BBC film. The following is a capsule review of the film that addresses several points in a relatively, relatively efficient manner. I consider Kinky Boots to be the cap on a trilogy that began with The Full Monty in 97 and continued with Billy Elliot in 2000. This is a series in which small-town British people find themselves gobsmacked, utterly struck dumb in the face of anything remotely feminine or gay. Male strippers, oh, come off it, love. A boy doing ballet, oh, come off it, love. A man in a dress, oh, come off it, love. We had a moment between 97 and 05, that is clear. I'm not shocked by how all of these films were eventually turned into Broadway musicals, but I am shocked to find Nick Frost doesn't star in all three. Moving on, Joel Edgerton and Chiwetel Ejiofor have more chemistry as a couple than Edgerton has with either Sarah Jane Potts, who plays Lauren, or a Jemima Ruper, who plays Nicola. It's no contest. The tension that exists between these two is palpable, and seeing them kiss would have been highly satisfying. It's not much of a stretch to read Charlie as a gay or bisexual man who has yet to come into his own. The guy is constantly going through the motions to please people and meet their cishet standards, and he's doing a poor job of it to boot. When Charlie accuses Lola of being confused about her identity, it reeks of projection. Lola is not confused. Charlie, you are confused. I'm also reading the movie version of Lauren as queer, but that's mainly because of Potts' haircut. It is a stupendously queer haircut and should be commemorated as such. I found it odd how the factory workers are shown to be unhappy and weirded out by the idea of producing kinky boots. These are small town people, and yes, this is a comedy and such reactions tend to be exaggerated for effect. But at one point, the staff is shown at a pub, and they're basically comatose. Pale, slack-jawed, staring into space, they're exuding this insane, my god, what have we done, energy, and it doesn't make any sense. None of these people would care about having to make sexy footwear for drag queens. Here is what they would care about. Having a job! I just watched 15 of me mates get the sack, and somehow I'm still here, aren't I? So fuck it, let's make kinky boots! Would you rather we keep making the same stupid shoes, shoes no one wants to buy until we're all filing for unemployment? Come off it, love! Come off it, love! Perfect accent! Overall, I was pleasantly surprised by the film's tone, and overall quality. It's a solid B+. You never know what you're gonna get with these early aughts LGBT comedies. And while Kinky Boots is a tad slight in its characterizations, I enjoyed the ground-level, no-nonsense approach it took to the drag community. Lola is neither a starry-eyed sprite with a magical touch, nor a clammy, tragic victim. She is a shit-kicker with sensitivities and a mighty stage presence. She contains multitudes. The same cannot be said of her drag queen associates, who appear and disappear as required by the script, 
and are never handed a single line of dialogue. What? Boo! Let the ensemble queens talk. At that point, I listened to the 2013 original Broadway cast album, and then I watched the 2013 Tony Awards performance of Everybody Say Yeah. I have two points to make regarding this performance, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Number one, I cannot get enough of those conveyor belts. Hello? Everyone is speed walking on crazy conveyor belts, and it lends the presentation an exciting tension. I have every faith in this cast. They are operating like a Swiss watch, and there is not a speck of hesitation in how they approach those belts. But there is a slice of danger in how the number has been staged, and I can't turn away. If you told me I had to act, sing, and move between what are essentially miniature treadmill platforms, I would faint on the spot. Who am I, Super Mario from the classic video game? Super Mario 64? I don't think so. Number two, I was struck by how this company of actors seemed like a real-world ensemble. The typical ensemble you tend to see in a musical comes off as little more than a swarm of bodies moving as one. But in the case of Kinky Boots, it feels as if I'm watching people who see each other every day. They don't move like a dance troupe or a church choir. They move like neighbors, people of varying heights, sizes, and shapes who know how to move around and play off of each other because they are used to each other. I credit this subtle effect to choreographer Jerry Mitchell and costume designer Greg Barnes. Their contributions have an undeniable pop, but they never push the show into an uber-stylized hyper-reality, at least not in this number. Again, no dance troupe or choir can be found here. This simply looks and sounds like what you would get if a bunch of drag queens started singing and dancing alongside factory workers. Are you going to credit the cast as well? I mean, of course, I think I already did, uh, but I'll do it again. The cast is doing a bang-up job. Anyone who can perform on conveyor belts with astonishing precision while making it look casual and organic is doing a bang-up job. At this point, I listened to the 2016 original London cast album. Now, you certainly get more material by listening to the London album, and that's true, including a full-length version of Sex is in the Heel and a handful of moments from Harvey Firestein's book. But if you're in the market for one and only one recording of Kinky Boots, I would go with the Broadway album. The London cast is talented. There can be no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, I think they sound like a touring imitation of the Broadway performers. Matt Henry is no Billy Porter, and Killian Donnelly is no Stark Sands. But what puts the London album at a true disadvantage is how it was recorded live. The mix is a tad wonky as a result, and you hear quite a lot of coughing, coughing from the audience. Coughing, coughing. Coughing, no thanks. Coughing, coughing. And finally, I watched the 2019 filmed performance of the London cast at the Adelphi Theater. Adelphi? Adelphi? This features Matt Henry as Lola Killian Donnelly as Charlie and Natalie McQueen as Lauren. I'm not sure when the show was recorded, but the resulting film was screened on June 25th, 2019 via Fathom Events, baby, and is now available via Broadway HD. That's why I signed up in the first place. Now, let's begin our deconstruction of the score with a little bit of the most beautiful thing in the world. Johnny, here are the shoes I told you about. Come have a look-see. Aren't they the most necessary things ever? If you want to slip a ring on my finger, you'll first slip these shoes on my feet. Well, it's a tad posh for life in Northampton, wouldn't you say? 
then good thing we're moving to London. And won't they make a fitting farewell to the stink of cattle farms and tannin leather? Oh, we may have been born in a small factory town, but we sure as hell don't have to die there. You see the price? There's three months' rent. Pinch them or pay for them, that is up to you. But these shoes are in my future. <laughs> to new beginnings, hello to sunny days. simple statement can and should be made at the top of this week's deconstruction, and that statement is as such. I'm a big fan of Cyndi Lauper and her music, and what's more, I am a fan of the Kinky Boots score she produced alongside Stephen Aremus. It is overstuffed, and the pop sensibility that informs the work produces some songs that are catchier and more memorable than others, but overall, this is a delicious and refreshing dessert of a score. Our opening number, The Most Beautiful Thing in the World, establishes a catchy melody line and rides it like there's no tomorrow. There's an assumption we won't get sick of hearing it, and that assumption proves to be a safe one. The number also does a fine job of introducing a slew of characters while defining their relationships and desires in a timely fashion. Though I did find it confusing how young Charlie Kid Charlie is shown to grow up into an adult while Kid Lola remains a child throughout the entire opening number. That could lead audiences to assume the adult Charlie exists within the same moment of time as a young Lola, which we come to find is absolutely not true. If you're going to make a time jump, you need to make sure everyone is affected accordingly. The issue here is that the show wants to treat Lola's first appearance as some enormous reveal, like, wow, a drag queen never saw that coming, did ya? Uh, this is a strange and silly decision. You can show me Lola as an adult prior to her drag queen transformation. Don't obscure the midpoint of her journey because you think you have an ace up your sleeve. You don't. It's weird. You're only confusing people. I'm being nitpicky because, as I have already established, I am a fan of the score. See how I gave myself permission to quibble by leading with a broad compliment? I'm tricky like that. Another nitpick. Uh-oh. I suspected Nicola would be turned into more of a clear-cut obstacle for the sake of the musical, but despite my keen sense of foresight, I was disappointed by the results nonetheless. Firestein hasn't turned the character into a nagging shrew by any means, but she is pointedly more superficial. Uh, hey, more superficial than the woman we see in the film. You can't have Nicola demand a pair of ridiculously expensive shoes in the first scene and claim to have written a nuanced character. If you want to marry me, Charlie, you will buy me these shoes. Gee, I wonder where this is going. I wonder if this person will level more ultimatums at our hero. I wonder is what I do. You've gotta take what you've got Town. You'd always say that you wouldn't stay, 
What You Got has this indefatigable commitment to please, and well, who am I to say it's not pleasing? This is a lovable little nothing of a number that splices the DNA of Rent's What You Own with that of the greatest showmans from now on, and I give it free reign to bounce around my skull for as long as it takes. Yes, I know the greatest showman came after Kingy Boots. Yes, I know. But if you took the number out of the show and replaced it with a book scene, would the show really be affected? Would really anyone care? Really? Really? No, of course not. No! Harry, the character of Harry, only exists to solve a minor problem and provide a certain POV before vanishing. Poof. We never hear from Harry again, and no one ever bothers to mention him. His purpose is entirely functional, and that makes his song seem terribly inconsequential in hindsight. Why are we giving this walking plot device, this cog in the machine, an entire number? Did Cindy Lauper owe Andy Kelso a favor? My lovely husband, Chris, hello, made the What You Own and From Now On comparisons. Spot on comparisons, I would say. I would also draw a comparison between What You Own and Charlie's first major solo, Step One, which we will not be hearing today. It's another good song. It's good. Derivative, yes, but derivative isn't always bad. While watching the 2019 filmed performance, I couldn't help but marvel at the breathless pace of the book scenes. Speaking of book scenes, I forget how musicals tend to move with the speed of a freight train barreling straight out of hell. And I can only assume it's because of union standards, rules. We don't have time for any pinter pauses, all right? We have the cast, crew, and orchestra for X amount of time, and we are not interested in paying them overtime. So move it already. The second act of the show does allow for a handful of still moments, if only a handful. He's not the first man to fall for me. And I promise, he won't be the last. <laughs> Leave expectations at the door. Just let your eyes explore my cinematic flair. From my boots to derriere, I got a lacy silken feel. With arms as hard as steel, I am freedom, I'm constriction. The potpourri of contradiction. Leave that humdrum face of glum behind. Once you walk inside these doors, you're mine. Now let me blow your mind. The lecture's out. And bam, here I am. Yes, ma'am, I am no The lecture's free. Ooh, that's me, Ebony. I am no Step into a dream where glamour is extreme. To see. We get good epiphany. So come and take my hand and welcome to the land of love. No need to be embarrassed. I like to be looked at and you like to look. I know a way to make us both happy. Oh, hey, got ginger. 
Lifted with a prize that's undetected. And Lola Land of Lola demonstrates a capacity for power and scale right up top, with the angels calling Lola's name as if she is a goddess descending upon the earth. You would only hear this part of the song on the London album, I should say, and I have no clue why it was cut from the Broadway recording. We don't have time for this big, awesome intro. I call shenanigans. So, we have this colossal burst of energy which effectively launches us into the stratosphere. Lola! But instead of riding that energy to further heights, greater heights, Land of Lola chooses to settle into this dreamy zero-gravity orbit. The chorus is slightly underwhelming, like it's right on the edge of achieving true earworm status. And by the fifth or sixth reprise, you'll likely be sick of it. There are so many miniature reprises of this song within, I would say, a ten-minute stretch. It's a little much. But there are minor treats within the song. Let it not be said, there are not minor treats within the song. The line, we give good epiphany, is like a drop of sweet honey in my ear. And despite my reservations, I am a sucker for I'm your cocoa butter bitch. Is, uh, <laughs> is Cindy Lauper really in a position to write that lyric? No, but it certainly rolls off the tongue. One last nitpick, the jokes about Lola's hairy legs and undetected prize don't ring as super authentic, as I feel most drag queens don't put in hours of work just to turn around and sell out their act. Am I wrong about this? Maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm not saying drag queens aren't self-aware, but I'm not convinced there's a lot of I'm really a man material in the general drag ethos. What am I talking about? I'm probably dead wrong on this point. On the subject of authenticity, there is a moment in both the movie and musical versions of Kinky Boots in which Lola chooses to flirt with and embarrass Don upon realizing he views her as a woman. Oh, he thinks I'm a woman? Well, I'll just sit on his crotch and give him a little tickle. And when I've got him right where I want him, I'll reveal my true gender. Oh, what a laugh we shall have at this pathetic dummy's expense. That moment really doesn't make sense, and I don't think I'm wrong on this point. No drag queen would trick someone and risk violence in the process. Outside of a performance context, this is a very risky move. We know Lola has a reference for violence because we watched her warning off honest-to-God attackers. The let's trick this stupid man beat only furthers the sort of stereotype men like Don, not to mention a great deal of theatergoers, would have for people like Lola and it should have been excised on the way to Broadway. But that's what happens when you write for characters you can't relate to directly. Oh, come on, what are you talking about? Harvey has done drag lots of times. Okay, enough already. Oh no, you don't dare. Go, 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 I'm warning you. I think I have a crush. I can't. I think I'm falling for him. Oh no. Why not? Women have been making bad choices Since the beginning of time Are you gonna be another one of mine? Oh. Used to think you were from outer space Who's that bright eye guy in your place? You're kinda cute when you're not so shy Oh, but I've been here before Have I come back for more? Another chapter 
and I need to go on a journey, I think, if we're going to unpack the history of wrong guys. We'll begin with my response to Annalie Ashford's rendition, which can be found on the OBC album. Here we go. Oh, okay, so once again we've handed our only female lead a song that has nothing to do with her so much as it has everything to do with men. See also One Day from Tim Minchin's Groundhog Day. Uh, this is pretty bad, I must say. Lauren sounds like an obnoxious person, the sort of crummy side character one might find in your average Kathy strip. And are we going for a quasi-Cindy Lauper impression here? I have no idea. End of reaction. Now let's hear my response to the London version of the song, as delivered by Amy Lennox. Okay, here we go. Oh, okay! This is actually an improvement. Lennox is doing a much better job of bringing the material to life while lending it some much-needed humanity. Ashford sounded as if she was mocking Lauren's accent, and this is much more natural and self-assured. Good! It's nice to know the song can shine when placed in the right hands. End of reaction. Lastly, here is my response to Natalie McQueen, who plays Lauren in the 2019 filmed version of the show. Okay, you ready? Oh, okay. So the number's a disaster. Got it. Message received. If every actress who played Lauren was directed to perform in this manner, there is no way any of them made it out alive. What is going on here? McQueen is twitching and moaning and lunging about as if she were the Tasmanian devil. No one else in the cast is operating on this level, and I'm not convinced Charlie would ever view this character as girlfriend material. But what do I know? The audience is in stitches. End of reaction. Look at me, powerless and holding my breath trying hard to repress what scared him to death it was never easy to be his type of man to breathe freely was not in his plan and the best part of me is what he wouldn't see I'm not my father's son I'm not the image of what he dreamed of with the strength of Sparta and the patience of Job still couldn't be father's son is quite touching. It slowly pressed itself against my heart until I quietly began to tear up. Who doesn't have daddy issues? Uh-oh! Who among us hasn't tried to sing a song from Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater in front of their father, only to recoil in the face of their tangible displeasure? Who among us hasn't stared at a Boy Scout pamphlet as if it were a firing squad from the 1960s? You know, your dad was a Boy Scout, and that's my problem. Why? Who among us hasn't had a dad who moved through 
through the phrase, I love you, as if it were made of salted rock shards. Sensitive boys of the world unite! For the record, my dad has been on meds for years and is better off for it. Much better. Much more chill, I would say, like a mustachioed glazed donut. Write down what you think I need to do to be a real man, and I'll do the same for you. Whatever you tell me to do, I will have to do. <laughs> but you will have to do the same for me. Deal? I ain't wearing no puffy dress. Chickening out already. for what a woman wants at the outset, if only for the Baroque Pimpernel adjacent underscore dee but the ceaseless punctuation of what a man, 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 oh my god, that quickly eroded my enthusiasm. I'm worried it sounds as if I really dislike kinky boots. I absolutely do not dislike kinky boots. I'm a fan. I've said as much. It's just that the show's clunkier moments stick out, and if I wanted to hear Pick a Little, Talk a Little go up against Carlos Santana riffs, I would waste an hour of my day tooling around in garage band. It is not a good sign when a song by Cyndi Lauper calls to mind Frank Wildhorn's Wonderland. Go with the flow, anyone? I'm sure we all are familiar with that particular banger. Carlos Santana riffs. When will I be? zero footnotes or complaints or outright grievances against Soul of a Man, as it is a perfectly entertaining song about white boy ennui. We've got all sorts of ingredients floating about in this stone soup, all of them tasty. We got a dash of Jonathan Larson, we got a pinch of Freddie Mercury, a tablespoon of a simple plan, and a hearty, healthy, heaping helping of Keen. Keen, baby, so much Keen in this 
song. Give me two servings and put the rest in the fridge for later, baby, if you please. Stark Sands, by the way, my goodness, ripping it here, my goodness. Ripping it, my goodness, Alex Brightman. Eat your heart out. Take your heart out of your chest. Eat it. Hold me in your heart till you understand. Hold me in your heart just the way that I am. With all your faults, I love you. Don't give up on me. I won't. When we went all wrong I know that I hurt you And you hurt me too But you mean more to me I must mean more to you Hold me in your heart Till you understand Hold me in your heart Just the way inspirations for Hold Me In Your Heart are astonishing in their brazen visibility, and I doubt Lopper or Orimus would disagree with that assessment. Backs against the wall, I'm sure they would admit to cribbing from both, and I am telling you I'm not going, and Whitney Houston's I Am Nothing. Call it what you will, an homage, a pastiche, but this is about as derivative as you can get without losing all credibility. And while I'm certain Hold Me In Your Heart would work like gang Busters in a Billy Porter cabaret show, it is not an especially memorable conclusion for Lola's arc. It's loud, certainly, but we've heard Lola at an 11 before, and projecting is hardly a challenge for Porter. Hitting those high notes, not a challenge. Not My Father's Son is a much better showcase for his talents, both as an actor and a singer, because that song doesn't treat him like a one-trick pony. I love Billy Porter, as anyone with a heart and mind and soul should. You better believe Believe, we'll hear every second of his rendition of Beauty School Dropout. We will hear that in its entirety when we eventually cover Grease. But as a vehicle for this powerhouse of a performer, Kinky Boots only serves him so well. He is bigger and brighter than the show could ever hope to be.
To make up their minds as people all over the world clamor for kinky boots. It's time for us to get back to work. But before we go, we would like to leave you with the Price and Simon secret to success. All right, now we've all heard of the 12 step program, have we not? Yes, but what you can do in 12, I want you to know that we all can do in six. Ow, and it goes like this. and Just Be are two halves of two fairly okay final numbers that have been unceremoniously smashed together. This is the narrative I have constructed and you can't sell me on a substitute. I am sorry, we are closed. But what a middling finale, am I right? Everyone is trying so hard to capture the magic of Hairspray's You Can't Stop the Beat. It's basically staged exactly like You Can't Stop the Beat with all these big dramatic entrances. And they can barely manage to rise above Shrek's freak flag. Uh-oh, boy. Uh-oh, boy. <laughs> Enough already with the dust bust rust chorus that chorus is so repetitive and so slow we might as well set it to a line dance class for beginners Ooh, baby you should have been there first they played boot scoot and boogie for brooks and dunn by brooks and dunn i should say and then you know what they followed that up with then they played raise you up from that there kinky boots show you love so much it was mild who you should have been there i'll tell you what why does the just be half of this sequence go out of its way to knock the 12-step program of all things? What you can do in 12 steps, we can do in six. I mean... All right. You're talking about accepting yourself in a very broad sense, and these people over here are dealing with alcoholism. Uh, but sure, put a feather in your cap and call it macaroni. As Chris pointed out, we should definitely change the line. Ladies, gentlemen, and those who have yet to make up your minds, we can do better than that, right? Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, respects the existence of a spectrum, for God's sake. So maybe go with that, huh? Yes, you can still say it in a kinky voice. I just did, okay? If you absolutely must. All right, that does it for our deconstruction of the Kinky Boots score, and so we are now going to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Oh, oh, I'm so sad. Oh, I've never been more forlorn in all of my days. Oh, 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 that I didn't see you. It's me, Salad Fingers. So nice to see you again. You know me, don't you, Salad Fingers? We met last year around 
Halloween time. Oh, but I've missed Halloween this year. I missed my appointment to record this ad, and now Halloween has come and gone. Oh, how is a mildly popular Flash animation character from the early 2000s supposed to keep his career afloat if he's missing all of his appointments? Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, but I'll let you know this. I'm just in time for Thanksgiving. So if you could see it, if you could see into your hearts and find it possible to accept me at your Thanksgiving table, I'd like to wish everyone a preemptive happy Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful to be here with you. I'm, of course, thankful for my rusty spoon. I am thankful for the spoon itself and the thick, crusty layer of bright copper red rust that covers the spoon. And I, of course, am thankful for the privilege to have these long celery stalk fingers that I slide along the rust, the rust of the rusty spoon. Oh, please forgive me for missing Halloween. Please allow me to sit at your table. I want to tell you about 5678 Coffee. Oh, that's why I'm here, of course, 5678 Coffee. I shall bring so many cans of 5678 Coffee to your beautiful bounty if you would just bring me into your hearts. I would bring the coffee to you. And afterwards, after the feast, we could have the coffee with pies and cakes and a rusty spoon. I like to eat my pie with a rusty spoon. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it. And I hope that you can count on me arriving in time for your Thanksgiving dinner. I won't be late. 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 Final thoughts regarding Kinky Boots. Okay, Kinky Boots is a tall, it's a tall, ice-cold strawberry milkshake. Did I or did I not describe the score as a, quote, delicious and refreshing dessert, quote? This week's subject may not fill you up like a hearty supper, but it is a treat that will leave you dopey-eyed and smiling. Who wants strawberry milkshakes? Come on, boy, catch the football and we'll all go out for frosty strawberry milkshakes. Yeah, Bart. Now, as a reminder, in 2013, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was, of course, Kinky Boots. And the additional nominees that year were Bring It On the Musical, A Christmas Story the Musical, and Matilda the Musical. We were really thrown around the phrase the musical that year. Now, did Kinky Boots deserve to win the Tony Award for Best Musical, or should one of these other shows, did one of these other shows deserve to win in its place. I'm not really sure. I know Bring It On and Matilda has its strong fan base. I would say that A Christmas Story does not have a sizable strong fan base. Okay, and no offense to all of the fans of A Christmas Story, the musical. I'm going to hold off on my judgment. You know what? I'm going to let Kinky Boots keep that medallion for now. We'll see what the future holds. Okay, okay. We must now, of course, rank Kinky Boots against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on The Musical Man. If you want to see our full ranking, go 
to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. Go to our likes. Click on that first tweet. It's a Google Sheet. You will be taken to a Google Sheet where you will click on the second tab, and that is where that full ranking can be found. I am placing Kinky Boots in the number 35 slot between Funny Girl at number 34 and Once on This Island at number 35. So there you go, Kinky Boots. You might move around in the future. Who knows? Who knows? But for now, you're number 35, baby. Let's talk about show-related ephemera. I have two pieces of show-related ephemera for you. We are going to start with a 1987 Sticklets gum commercial that features Cyndi Lauper. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering, is it annoying? The answer is absolutely. I tried to warn you. Okay, when can we expect the Cindy Lauper jukebox musical, by the way? The proper Lauper jukebox musical. Girls just want to have fun. Time after time, she bop all through the night. Money changes everything. True colors change of heart. I drove all night. Sally's pigeons. The foundation is there. It's right there. Just pick it up. Someone pick it up. I can't do all the work. Here is our second piece of show-related ephemera. It is Billy Porter singing Everything's Coming Up Roses at the 73rd Annual Tony Awards. This was just last year. And this was done, this was done while strutting about in a pair of fabulous high heels. Let's hear it right now. I hope it's in the right key.
To determine which show we are to discuss next, we will need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator. I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Simon and Thomas and Matthew and James. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Very interesting. Okay, we have landed in the year 1975, and this show, this show, was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It did not win that award, and it's probably because it only ran for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine performances. A total of nine performances. It couldn't even get into the double digits. Uh, that show is The Lieutenant. Um, <laughs> so we will be talking about the lieutenant. Everybody calm down. Please just calm down, for God's sake, with the screaming and the hooting and the hollering. The lieutenant, hooray! Be quiet, please. Control yourselves, all right? Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. Now, if you donate one dollar a month, you get a lot, okay? You get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes, which normally drop on Wednesday for everybody else. You also get a verbal weekly shout-out, a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's do that now. Thank you so much to our new number one, number one, <laughs> our new number one, one dollar donor, brand new donor, Ross. Thank you so much, Ross. But thank you also to HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marquez, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matzak, and Marisol. You also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage production Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, and Documentary Now, original cast album Co-op. Coming November 18th, our review of John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, and coming in November, reviews of Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and Donald Pardon's Christmas on the square. Hut, hut. You also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and you get all of the episodes we have recorded so far for M3, the movie musical man, which is returning December 23rd. Remember, December 23rd, if you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You also get season one, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special episode all about Julie and the phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get to pick a musical for me to talk about, okay? So long as it was a show that was nominated for or won the Tony Award for Best Musical, okay? You also get season one of All I Ask of You, the advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, and access to our ongoing season two of All I Ask of You. But you also get Broadway and Chicago reviews and Shout About It volumes one and two. That is a collection of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shout outs from the first 50 episodes of the show. Oh, it's true. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus season one, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, that is a special series about Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and we talk about them on The Snub Club. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, 
please take a moment to write a five-star review. If we get to 65 star reviews, I will record and publish a special episode all about Disney's zombies. Ah, yes, our zombies. We now have a total of 34 reviews, so we have a long way to go. Please write a nice five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Com. You can follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod and email me at MusicalManPod at gmail.com. Thank you as always to Patty and Benny for all of their hard work, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, well, oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>